<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of The Complete Works, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the wondrous world of Goldblum is my friend, co-host and fellow Goldblumaniac, Mike DeCrecia. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. It's another wonderful day of Goldblum here uh, at the podcast, so that's always fun. Yeah, that, that is a that that was the working title of the podcast, a wonderful day of Goldblum. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we ended we ended up going with Goldblooming, and then found out that was taken, and so we just called ourselves Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> a complete works podcast. We did, we did. Uh, I'm good, Mike. I, I I didn't answer you before, but I am also good. You know, doing I'm my glad. thing. Still, uh, kind of quarantining in Montana. Things are getting worse here. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I, it's not, I'm not sure if it's not technically getting worse, but it is like, there is like a huge increase in testing, which is showing more and more cases of coronavirus than there was in previous months. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a restaurant that I was at a few weeks ago, uh, just had to shut down because an employee, uh, got coronavirus. Uh, Ooh, fun. so, so that's a, that was a terrifying thing to hear, but I like, I looked deeper into it and this is the employee only worked like these shifts on these days. And I wasn't there at those times. Uh, I'm probably going to go get a test this week anyway, just to like be sure, you yeah. know, just cause, just cause you can. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll figure that out. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, ah, oh, it like hit, it didn't exactly hit where I live, but it hit at a place where I went to. So <laughs> That's, That's uh, yeah, definitely a scary thing. But uh, the important thing is Jeff Goldblum made a bunch of movies throughout his career, Mike, and we're reviewing all of them. <laughs> he sure did. Exactly. And uh, last time we talked about uh, director Philip Kaufman was a few episodes ago, 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, one of Jeff Goldblum's real breakout movies. Uh, and a lot has happened since the last time we checked in on Philip Kaufman in terms of just the timeline that we're working with right now from between Body Snatchers and the movie we're talking about today. After the success of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, Kaufman got right to work on a low budget comedy drama called The Wanderers, uh, which was released in 1979, a year later. Uh, that movie was not a huge success, although it gathered a cult following uh, over time. Around that time, Philip Kaufman also worked with George Lucas for a little bit and helped develop the story for Raiders of the Lost Ark, which we talked about a little bit in our Body Snatchers episode. So Kaufman was actually the one that came up with the Ark of the Covenant as a plot device. He's the reason that's the entire plot of the movie. Wow. <laughs> it's Kauf- is Kaufman pretty Kasdan. Wild. Exactly. Yeah. Which we just talked about Lawrence Kasdan uh, in the last episode, too. So that's where Kaufman was. At the time, he was approached to direct an adaptation of a novel by Tom Wolfe, uh, which dramatized the story of the Mercury 7. <laughs> I, I meant to write down astronauts, but I guess autocorrect messed with me. And it says the Mercury 7 restaurants in my <laughs> in my copy. The, you know, the novelty chain of restaurants. <laughs> yeah, the Mercury 7 <laughs> restaurants. That's what the right stuff is about. No, the Mercury yeah, 7. <laughs> Johnny Rockets, Mars 2112. <laughs> can we <laughs> can we think of any other nope. space-themed restaurants? <laughs> That's it. Uh, we'll figure it out later. The Mercury 7 astronauts. Uh, so originally, 
Uh, producers Robert Chartoff and Erwin Winkler had hired William Goldman to write the screenplay. William Goldman was the screenwriter behind Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and All the President's Men. Uh, and he did that in order to do something patriotic for America in the wake of the Iran hostage crisis. That was the reason he wrote this movie. Uh, Goldman's version actually cut the story of pilot Chuck Yeager out of the screenplay. And when Kaufman was approached to direct the movie, uh, he decided he didn't like Goldman's version very much. Uh, and so he wrote a new draft in about eight weeks, uh, which put Jaeger back into the story, saying that if you're serious about tracing where the future of space travel began, its roots lay with Jaeger and the whole test pilot subculture. Ultimately, astronautics descended from that point. The result was a movie that was met with huge critical acclaim, even if it didn't exactly meet financial success, a movie that was nominated for eight Oscars that year and won four of them and a movie that's been preserved in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. This is The Right Stuff. On October 14, 1947, Captain Charles Yeager shattered the sound barrier, propelled man into the future, and the search began for a new breed of men, men who were fearless. You've heard about our project. Sounds dangerous. It's very dangerous. Count me in. I got a rocket in my pocket and a roll in my wall. Ambitious. Who's the best pilot you ever saw? You're looking at it, baby. Patriotic beyond question. I just thank God I live in a country where the best and the finest in a man can be brought out. My pleasure to introduce to you America's Mercury Astronauts! Seven men who would risk their lives in a hurtling piece of machinery to cross the threshold of space. It takes a special kind of man to volunteer for a suicide mission, especially once on TV. You know, the government spends just all kinds of time and money teaching you pilots how to be fearless. They don't spend a damn penny teaching you how to be the fearless wife of a test pilot. They were idolized by the public. Hi, which one are you? Shepard. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. Well, which one's Glenn? He's the one I want to meet. Heralded by the media. Uh, gentlemen, can you tell us if any of you go to church regularly? As far as church goes, I attend regularly. But behind the image, they were human beings. Human beings with real fears. If anybody goes up in the damn thing, is going to be spam in a can. Frustrations. What happened? He blew the hatch! I did not do anything wrong! The hatch just blew! It was a glitch! It was a, a technical malfunction! Conflicts. You're gonna think of the broader interests of this program. You are way out of line here! I'm out of line! Yes, sir! I'm running this show here! We'll see about that! Disappointments. Aren't we going to the White House, Gus? Nah. No ticker tape parade in New York? And no Jackie? Pressures. There's another hold from NASA, another delay. What can be going through a man's mind at this moment? Gordo, I have to urinate. No. Tell him he cannot. Uh, say, listen, old buddy. Uh, they promise we'll stop at the next gas station. They request that you remain in a holding pattern till then. This is the story of the special few at the very top. The elite brotherhood whose achievements inspired a nation and captured the imagination of the world. 
These are the men who had the right stuff. They all want to see Buck Rogers, and that's us. Now, the right stuff, in a broad sense, tells the story of air travel and how America first put people in outer space. It does that by first telling the story of Chuck Yeager, the first military test pilot to break the sound barrier in 1947 and transitions into the space race and the story of the Mercury 7, the seven astronauts chosen for the first manned space flights in America. And that feels significant now, I think, because if you ask the average person on the street to name an astronaut, they would probably name Neil Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin. Like when we think of the space race, we think of the moon landing in 1969, which was kind of like the end of the space race. Uh, We kind of skip over the many, many years leading up to that. And the right stuff really effectively covers about 15 years in the span of three plus hours. This is a long movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Uh, And it does take some dramatic liberties for the purpose of storytelling, uh, but it offers a solid historical look at what actually happened. But the reason we're here today is because Phil Kaufman brought on his Invasion of the Body Snatchers uh, actor, Jeff Goldblum, into the movie. So is Goldblum one of the Mercury Seven or even Chuck Yeager? Nope. Uh, Actually... (laughs) (laughs) Goldblum's character does not even have a name. Uh, He plays one of the NASA recruiters who gathers the Mercury 7 together and is probably in a total of like maybe 10 minutes of the movie at most. It really doesn't feel like that much because, again, this movie is three hours and 15 minutes long. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, like when Goldblum first showed up, I had forgotten I was watching this for my Jeff Goldblum podcast. I was like watching the movie and like, you know, it has this long prologue with Chuck Yeager and then it starts getting into like the Mercury 7 stuff. And then, you know, so it's maybe like he shows up like 45 minutes to 50 minutes in. And at that point, I was like, oh, yeah, Jeff Goldblum's in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I had a very similar uh, reaction, especially because. Goldblum's entrance is basically Kramer, where he like bursts through a door, and I was like, "Oh shit, it's, it's Goldblum!" <laughs> I forgot all about him. I know the the there was suddenly like applause too when he entered yeah. the door. There was like loud like cheering from an audience that was unseen. It was <laughs> it was very surreal, very odd. Um, yes, but uh, so Jeff Goldblum plays a NASA recruiter in this movie. He's actually paired up with another NASA recruiter played by Harry Shearer, uh, the voice of many, many characters on The Simpsons, including Mr. Burns and Smithers and Principal Skinner. Uh, it feels like he's like channeling Smithers a little bit in this in in mm. his performance in yeah. this movie, at least what I got just uh, just in terms of the voice he's like doing, uh, mm-hmm. I guess. Or maybe that's just Harry Shearer's actual voice. At this point, it's tough to tell. <laughs> Yeah. what he actually sounds like. Uh, but that was a fun pairing just to see Goldblum and Harry Shear uh, paired up together. But they are really not the main guys in the movie. Uh, so who are the main guys in The Right Stuff, Mike? Oscar nominated in the role of Chuck Yeager is Sam Shepard, an actor and playwright uh, who just passed away a couple of years ago, uh, known for performances in movies like Days of Heaven and Paris, Texas. Uh, and then the actual Mercury 7 astronauts include Fred Ward from Tremors as Gus Grissom, uh, Dennis Quaid, who had then mostly just appeared in Breaking Away as Gordo Cooper, Ed Harris, uh, then known for George Romero movies, uh, Night Riders and Creepshow as John Glenn and Scott Glenn as Alan Shepard. Uh, and Scott Glenn, of course, was in Nashville. So there's a Goldblum reunion right there. That's right. Yeah. You, you had that like kind of head backwards thing like, whoa, yeah, he was in Mind Nashville. Flow. You're right. <laughs> 
Uh, and then the other three Mercury 7 astronauts have a lot less screen time than those main four, uh, but they include Lance Henriksen, uh, Bishop from Aliens, as Wally Shira, uh, Scott Powlin, who played the Red Skull in the 1990 Captain America movie. Uh, <laughs> who could forget it? As, uh, of course, and as Deke Slayton, and Charles Frank as Scott Carpenter. Uh, now strap in, because there are a shitload more cast members to go. <laughs> This is the kind of movie that has a huge ensemble cast and everybody in it is somebody. Uh, So Barbara Hershey from Last Temptation of Christ, uh, she plays Glennis Yeager, Chuck's wife. Uh, The other wives of the astronauts include Betty Grissom, played by Veronica Cartwright, who was also in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, another reunion over there. Uh, Trudy Cooper, played by Pamela Reed from Kindergarten Cop. She was Arnold's partner in that movie. (laughs) Uh, uh, Annie Glenn, played by Mary Jo Deschanel, who was Donna's mom on Twin Peaks, uh, who's in a wheelchair on that show, if you remember that, uh, that character. Yeah, there she is. And Louise Shepard, played by Kathy Baker in her in her film debut. Uh, she'd later go on to be in movies like Street Smart and Edward Scissorhands. Uh, from there, Levon Helm, lead singer of the band, uh, plays Jack Ridley, the guy working with Chuck Yeager throughout the movie. He also narrates the beginning and the end of the movie. He's the voiceover that pops up. Uh, Donald Moffat from The Thing plays Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson. Uh, Kim Stanley of the movie Francis plays Poncho, who runs the bar all the pilots drink at. Scott Wilson, Herschel from The Walking Dead, uh, plays Scott Crossfield, the uh, first pilot to fly twice the speed of sound. Uh, and then you got William Russ, Corey's dad from Boy Meets World. Uh, he plays pilot Slick Goodlin, and of course, he was in rehearsal for murder. So there's another gold bloom reunion right there. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And then uh, David Gulpilil from uh, the Crocodile Dundee movies. uh, And he was in a lot of other Australian cinema, too. It feels productive to say he's just in the Crocodile Dundee movies, but that's what he's best known for in America. I think Uh, he plays the aboriginal man that uh, Cooper speaks to in Australia. Uh, NFL offensive tackle Anthony Munoz plays Gonzalez. And finally, the real Chuck Yeager appears as Fred, the bartender at Poncho's Saloon. Uh, So that's. I can take my I can take my deep breath now as I finally got through <laughs> most of the cast list. There's other people in the movie, but those are kind of like the main ones that have like significant other things and other parts and stuff like that. Good job, um, Mike. You did it. Thank you. I haven't uh, been this exhausted since we since we did Nashville uh, <laughs> a few months back. Uh, the right stuff was written and directed by Philip Kaufman four years after his previous film, The Wanderers, and five years before his next, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, which starred Daniel Day Lewis and Juliette Binoche. Uh, the movie had a budget of about. $27 million made about $21 million at the box office, but the critical acclaim and Oscar love probably made up for that. It won four Oscars for Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Film Editing, Best Original Score, and Best Sound, and it was nominated for four more. Best Supporting Actor for Sam Shepard, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, and Best Picture, which put it up against the last movie we talked about on this podcast, The Big Chill. So yes, for those keeping track at home, Jeff Goldblum appeared in two movies in 1983 that were nominated for Best Picture, both of which were directed by people who had a hand in writing Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) I love it. What a a great thread to have. (laughs) I mean, that's some stats right there. Uh, So The Right Stuff opened in limited release on October 21st, 1983, taking the number 11 spot at the box office. Uh, If you weren't seeing it, you might have been seeing All the Right Moves, a football movie starring Tom Cruise, Craig T. Nelson, and Leia Thompson. Uh, You could have also been seeing Under Fire, a political thriller starring Nick Nolte and Gene Hackman, and also featuring Ed Harris. Uh, Or you could have been seeing The Dead Zone, which uh, was a David Cronenberg movie uh, and a Stephen King adaptation uh, starring Christopher Walken. That opened at number two this weekend, uh, number one at the box office in its third week, 
was Never Say Never Again, the James Bond movie that doesn't count, but still brought Sean Connery back. <laughs> wow. Three <laughs> yeah, weeks man. in, it's at number one. Wild. Three weeks in still. Uh, the IMDb plot synopsis for The Right Stuff reads, the story of the original Mercury 7 astronauts and their macho seat of the pants approach to the space program. <laughs> Which is a great way to describe the right stuff. So, Mike, uh, what were your thoughts on the movie? What were your overall thoughts on the right stuff? What did you expect going into it, too? Um, yeah, going into it, I, I had obviously I've heard of this movie, but I had never seen it before. And I knew it was like, you know, three hours and 15 minutes or whatever it is. It's a big kind of epic story. And uh, I was kind of surprised at how much of it seemed to fly by. He winked to the camera. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, but, yeah, I mean, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, for some of it, the like first, like, I don't know, 45 minutes, kind of like the, the sound barrier, Chuck Yeager section. I was kind of like, okay, like I'm kind of, we're kind of just doing the same thing. We're, we're trying to go fast. We're almost crashing. We're drinking at the bar. And then we try to go fast again. Uh, that's yep. kind of like what it does for a while. Uh, but then once it kind of gets into the Mercury seven and, and the like, you know, birth of NASA and all that stuff, I was like, wow, holy shit. I'm like, deep, like found myself very deeply invested and interested in that story. Cause like you said, you hear about the, uh, like Apollo missions and all that stuff. You don't really hear about like, that's like in, in the public consciousness, I think uh, right. is what you think about when you think about astronauts and NASA. So I was really interested and invested in that, in that whole section. But this is one of those weird movies that when I, this isn't, isn't like really related to anything. Uh, when I worked at FYE, which is a movie store, uh, you know, um, for people that might not know, uh, they yeah. had, there's a couple movies that I, I have the cover art just like imprinted in my memory because it's their, their, their sections, their movie sections are just, are just alphabetical. So like whatever movies happen to be at the front of the shelf, like that were the first movie in the line, <laughs> you would just constantly yeah. be seeing, uh, the, the cover art. Cause it'd be right in front of the shelf. And, uh, this was one of those movies that like, I don't know that was right there top, like top shelf, right in the middle, like smack dab. And there's that, that cover art, that poster or whatever of them, the like in silhouette all lined up in their space suits, kind of just like standing there haphazardly. So I don't know. It's just one of those things that's like burned into my mind <laughs> with the, the, in regards to this movie, having never seen it before. Yeah. Uh, I was just like, I know what the poster looks like. Um, so that's kind of neat, I guess. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought this was actually really good. I didn't really know what to expect. It's surprisingly also very funny at times. Like it's kind of just like, yeah, about, uh, about these, uh, seat of your pants fly boys, uh, trying to get to space basically, or whatever <laughs> the, the tagline was or the synopsis. So yeah, that's my, my surface level thoughts on the right stuff. Yeah. I also, uh, really enjoyed the right stuff. Uh, you know, I, I had not seen this movie either. Uh, and when we, when we did invasion of the body snatchers, I realized like, Oh man, we have another Philip Kaufman movie coming up. That's very exciting because I, I had like a renewed love for body snatchers coming out of that episode. So I was like, Oh man, can't wait to get to the right stuff. Finally, get to watch this. And, uh, yeah, this is definitely not like as intense or anything as body snatchers is, even though yeah. this is like stuff that actually happens. So, and in a way it should be more intense, but yeah, I, I really did enjoy this. And I'm somebody who has already been like pretty into the history of space travel. Like that was like a huge obsession for me when I was a kid was because I wanted to because, you know, like when you're five or six years old, like there are like three different jobs that you want to be. You want to be like a firefighter or you want to be a police uh, police officer or you want to be an astronaut. Right. That's like kind of like yeah. the, the big three. Uh, and so I, I kind of latched onto astronaut at a very early age. and I knew a lot about, you know, space travel. And I had like I had like biographies of Neil Armstrong in my house and like would just read these kind of these kind of things. Uh, and so I knew a 
decent amount about these kind of missions, but definitely not like the full picture like this movie portrays it. Like, I didn't really know that much about Chuck Yeager in 1947 leading up to space travel and all that stuff. So I, I felt like this was a really effective dramatization. Uh, I think it would make it for a great double feature, actually, with uh, First Man, uh, which came out a couple of years ago, uh, which was the Neil yeah. Armstrong biopic uh, directed by Damien Chazelle. Did you ever see First Man, Mike? No, I, I didn't get around to it, but I was thinking about it the entire time I was watching this. Like, oh, really? <laughs> probably finally watch First Man. Yeah. Yeah, because that's a really good movie, too. And it's, uh, you know, it features a few of the astronauts that are featured in this movie, uh, including Gus Grissom and Deke Slayton. Uh, Kyle Chandler plays Deke Slayton in the, in the movie, and he's like kind of like higher up in the ranks of NASA at that point. And it actually details uh, how Gus Grissom died uh, while doing the, uh, another mission, an Apollo mission uh, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And so there's, you know, stuff like that. So it almost feels like. Like that that movie picks up around the time this movie leaves off. So you can kind of just like go from the right stuff straight into First Man in the same way you can do like the post into All the President's Men or something like that right. uh, and get like a full picture of the story and that kind of thing, which is kind of cool. It's it's a weird. Uh, I remember uh, Patrick Williams a few years ago did a YouTube video uh, called like the real the real life history cinematic universes or whatever and how you can like create <laughs> like your own kind of Marvel cinematic universe style thing just out of history with like all the different movies that are made about it. Like if you made if you took the right stuff first man hidden figures and apollo 13 like you've got a pretty good view of the entire history of the space program <laughs> wow that's fascinating <laughs> holy shit which yeah, which would be really really cool uh like if you were teaching a class or something like that those would be good movies to show but yeah so the right stuff it's great uh like you mentioned before it's three hours and 15 minutes long but it never feels uh, like it never feels short i don't think to me but it never like drags and it's really well paced and like it is very funny a lot of the time has a really solid sense of humor and explores aspects of the whole training regimen and things that you might not expect it to uh like a movie that is that wasn't three hours and 15 minutes might not have time to show the sperm test or whatever they have to do (laughs) with the uh an extended enema bit <laughs> exactly like all, all that stuff which i think is like really funny and like adds to my affection for the movie like a, a lesser version of it would probably cut that stuff out uh yeah. so I, I really appreciate that uh as well and it's also just a really easy movie to get kind of swept up into like the aerial sequences are really thrilling uh and bill conti's score which won an oscar is just incredible i mean the score is really fun bill conti uh i think he did a score for another movie that we uh, talked about it might have been like special delivery or something um but he's the guy who did the score for rocky he created gonna fly now i, I i'm blanking on what movie it was i'm pretty sure i think it was special delivery but uh this special is like delivery a really terrific was the mission impossible guy oh yeah that was lalo schifrin uh so bill yeah. i think bill conti did something else maybe it was uh saint ives or something i don't know maybe, it was an, it yeah. was an, it was an early movie it was definitely an earlier movie in the uh in the podcast or maybe it was even invasion of the body snatchers no that was that was the uh, a jazz musician. Uh, <laughs> I'm blanking on what <laughs> his name is. We're getting really wrapped up. Yes, exactly. The uh, point who the hell is, was that? I forget now. Yeah, but the point is, Bill Conti's score here is fantastic. So uh, yeah, just wanted to say that, and then also just great performances all around. I think especially, I mean, for me, like there's a couple of MVPs in the movie, including Goldblum, who is very funny. But like Sam Shepard as Chuck Yeager is great. Uh, Dennis Quaid is so much fun. In this movie, Uh, he's he's like uh, based on this movie, like this movie hit in 1983, which is the same year that Tom Cruise hit in Risky Business. Right. And like I I feel like based on this movie, Dennis Quaid could have had like a Tom Cruise esque career like going forward, you know, and he has like a couple of like great performances after that. Like I love him in Interspace um, where he's doing like his version of like Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones or something like that. But like I I feel like, you know, over the years, like he never got like to be like that breakout movie star. Instead, he's just like, hey. Hey, it's Dennis Quaid. You know, he's like that guy who's in movies. 
movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he is he is really terrific uh, in this movie. And uh, Scott Glenn also is Alan Shepard. I, I really loved uh, him in this movie, too. Uh, any any standout performances to you, Mike? Any, anybody that you wanted to uh, give shout out to? Uh, I mean, I'm, I don't remember if I mentioned this with uh, Nashville, but Scott Glenn is one of those like actors for me. That's like I remember him in Vertical Limit, I think, is that movie. Have you remember this? Have you ever yeah, seen that? that I, like rock climbing Everest movie or whatever? I think you did mention that when we reviewed Nashville, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And he's always just going to be like forever be like, oh, he's that guy from Vertical Limit. Like, I know his right. name. Like, I know it's Scott Glenn. But I'm just always excited anytime I see him on screen because of Vertical Limit. Right. And when I saw that movie, which is hilarious. Um, so I was excited for him. Uh, I mean, really, uh, like the, the the comedy stylings of uh, Goldblum and Shearer is just like, we'll get into it. Um, but just anytime they're on screen, I was just delighted. And it's like, you know, like you said, it's 10 minutes of screen time in this right. uh, three hour movie. <laughs> yeah. And just really just uh, and Fred Ward, too, which is another guy like Tremors was like a foundational movie for me as a little kid. Sure. So anytime he's on screen, I'm like, it's the guy from Tremors. Uh, I love it. It's just <laughs> there's a lot like this movie. And as, as you know, evidenced by how long it took you to read through the cast uh, <laughs> and he like kind of anytime there's a scene. I'm like, oh, shit, it's that guy. And like, I'm yeah. excited and it's fun. So I think I think this movie on top of the the performances and everything being really good, like it, it, it gets bolstered a lot in hindsight now being like, oh, shit, look at all these guys in the background that I recognize from other stuff. Uh, right. So that, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> Levon Helm. Love the band. Love that. Oh, but I didn't recognize. Yeah, I didn't recognize his voice in the, in the voiceover section in the beginning, at least in the first one. And then when he showed up uh, or the first time I noticed him, at least was kind of towards the end when like Chuck Yeager is like watching the bro- news broadcast about something I forget and he like turns and, and Levon Helm just like flicks open a Zippo and lights his lights a cigarette and I was like wait a second that fucking Levon Helm like hold on and then Are he shows up, up on Triple Freak right here yeah what's happening and then uh, there's a couple more times where he shows up and anytime he's there I'm like yes love that guy <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was great seeing Levon Hell in the movie, too. He was a lot of fun. Uh, and he was, uh, as like kind of Chuck Yeager's wingman. Uh, yeah. He was always always had a stick of gum at the ready or something like right. that. Um, but yeah, and the movie looks great. Uh, and I think it's really easy to see its influence on other stories like of its kind. I mean, there's one shot in the hangar. Uh, I think it's with Chuck Yeager and the silhouette against the plane. Uh, and it's like, oh, that Captain Marvel like directly lifted that shot. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> For that movie, uh, which is also Captain Marvel also took the uh, the very end narration of the movie. Uh, he, they say higher, farther, faster in the narration. That was the tagline for Captain Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Uh, so it's cool. So it's cool to see just like how this movie has like influenced stuff later on. This is also like a movie that was kind of parried on community uh, during its space episode in season two, um, <laughs> which, uh, which they directly do the gold bloom running into a room thing in, in that yeah. movie, in that episode the show. Uh, but they also like do the parody of like the long, like slow motion walk that all the astronauts do all at once and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, this is, it's a movie that has had an influence for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that, that was a lot of fun to see that. One of the things going into uh, the right stuff, I was like a little, not worried if that's not, that's not like the right word, but I wasn't quite sure because with Kaufman and like uh, terms of direction with body snatchers, like, you know, that's this weird sci-fi kind of horror stuff. Like there's, sure. you have a little more like Liberty to get like weird. <laughs> um, so, so to speak, and like <laughs> have like artistic directing choices and stuff like that. Like with the weird, like funhouse mirror thing we talked about a lot in the bookstore. And this is, you know, more of a historical real life drama kind of thing you're trying to tell. Uh, but surprisingly, like there are a lot of like artistic quote unquote touches, uh, especially 
especially around yeah. the the flight sequences and the in the stuff in space and and even in the beginning with Jaeger when he's like you know trying to break the sound barrier. Uh, there's a lot of like visual distortion effects that they do, like you know, to represent like the G forces and like yeah. the astronauts have like a mirror on their chest for some reason in a lot of those sequences when they finally do go to space. Which I don't know if they actually did, but it looks really fucking cool. Uh, and I'm glad they like made that artistic choice if that's something they came up with for the movie. Uh, so there's there's I was surprised, uh, sort of, like pleasantly surprised at how interesting the direction was for this three hour movie. Yeah, definitely. There's the one sequence um, when they're all training, there's like the flashing red room sequence, which is like straight out of a horror movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, like it's just constantly like flashing and you see like, the, like, I think it's Scott Glenn, like in this, in the red room, go, like almost like screaming, like ah! and all that stuff, which yeah. is, uh, which is pretty great. It felt like straight out of body statues, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but all right, let's talk about Jeff Goldblum. What did you think of Jeff Goldblum in the right stuff, Mike? Uh, I mean, he's, he's great. Like, like I said, the comedy, the comedy stylings of Shearer and Goldblum, uh, like love it. Anytime they're on screen together, fun. <laughs> right. I mean, he, he also he gets to be the guy in the hallway, sprinting in the hallway in Washington with the urgent message. Uh, like you don't know it's yes. him the first time, but he gets to be that guy. And then he busts in the door and is like, "It's called Sputnik." And everyone's like, "Shut up, we know, idiot. Get in here." Uh, <laughs> uh, and yes. that was a great recurring. Which is one of the, that yeah, It's it's like the best recurring gag in the movie uh, where he, yeah he keeps like running breathlessly. To, into rooms like the big situation room where like the president and these senators and all these people are there like analyzing the space race and talking about Russia and Goldblum always like bursts in like it's Sputnik or like his name is Yuri or that kind of thing yeah and, and they're always like we know <laughs> like they already know the information uh it was yeah. great love that uh <laughs> so yeah that's how you that's how you're introduced to Goldblum in the right stuff that first time. Uh, and so he does the whole running into the room thing. And then basically he's there and he's pretty prominently featured in the movie for maybe 10 minutes or so with him and Harry Shearer. They're paired together, they're comic relief. Uh, and they're the guys that find the test pilots. Basically they're the ones who recruit everybody to be as part of the Mercury seven program. Uh, yeah. so I did uh, enjoy that. So, uh, yeah. And, and I also love the bit in that scene, uh, when they're saying, okay, we're looking for, these are the people we're looking at. And it's like surfers and like NASCAR <laughs> drivers, and, like yeah. people who fire themselves out of cannonballs. <laughs> yeah exactly and i think it's like lyndon b johnson is like we need test pilots damn it and like (laughs) chomping on his big cigar or whatever i don't think he is but like in my mind he's chomping chomping on a giant imaginary cigar yeah everybody in that scene is chomping on a giant cigar and pounding their fist (laughs) on the table Uh, (laughs) i mean there is that moment which actually was like really powerful in that scene uh was kind of like a big oh shit moment for me uh when they're kind of going through the like how did the Russians beat us? And like, there's that like funny bit where like, are there Germans better than our Germans? Uh, which was fun. <laughs> um, and then uh, like out of the shadow leans Eisenhower. <laughs> Cause like yes. so far it's just some Senator talking, which I mean, I'll, it ends up being LBJ, which I didn't realize at the time. Um, right. But uh, yeah. And then Eisenhower like leans out of the shadow and I was like, Whoa, fuck <laughs> Like the president's <laughs> even he's here. The Roman empire controlled the world because it could build roads. Later, the British Empire was dominant because it had ships and air stage. We were powerful because we had airplanes. Now, the communists have established a foothold in outer space. Pretty soon, they have damn space platforms up there to drop nuclear bombs on us, like rocks from a highway overpass. Now, how in the hell did they ever get ahead of us? All right, gentlemen, I think we're ready. Go 
there a, a loose plug over there anywhere? Oh, here it is. I'll get it. Senator Johnson's right. This is Armageddon, the decisive battle between the forces of good and evil. We're engaged in a struggle for survival. There you go. Thank you. This footage was assembled from sources operating under deep cover at uh, great risk. Very great. And we're very fortunate that this material did not perish with a couple of the men. This is secret footage of the Russian Karabal rocket. And these are the German scientists that they captured after the war. Was it them? Was it their German scientists that got them up there first? No. No, it was not, Senator. Our Germans are better than their Germans. Yeah, I think it's Eisenhower, too, who has a great line in that scene where he's like, uh, I will not sleep under the light of a communist moon or something, yeah. or <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah, I loved all that. Stuff. And then the, the second time they do it later when uh, the Russians have the first man in space. Uh, and it's the same, like, it's the same exact scene, basically, where they're like, ah, yep. it's, and they're trying to analyze it. And Shearer and Goldblum don't know which guy is which on the on the projector. Love it. And they're trying to argue who, which guy is which guy. Yes. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so so how do you think this role fits into the roles that we've seen Jeff Goldblum play in other movies, Mike? Um, I think there's a pretty good line between uh, his role in, in Next Stop Greenwich Village uh, in just in terms of like the like the scale of his character. Okay, yeah. like, it's so small, like but the impact is so strong. Like he's one of the guy, yeah. like recruiter guys in for NASA in this and he stands out a whole lot when he's in it. So, yeah, I thought, thought, thought about that where it's like kind of in a very small like you know he's in three or four scenes maybe in the right stuff but like you can feel his impact throughout the whole movie i think or at least that first half where they're kind of getting everything started and body snatchers obviously uh, i think you know he's smaller supporting role and and it's an interesting um maybe i don't want to say like step back or something where but if you compare this like the roles between this and the big chill even though they came out in the same year so i don't think that's like a fair comparison uh right you know he's making both simultaneously kind of deal where in big chill he's you know much more prominently featured um there was one more i thought of oh 10 speed and brown shoe even just as it's yeah. a more more a very comedic role uh where in 10 speed and brown shoe it's just basically a straight ahead comedy <laughs> it's interesting him making that you know towing the line between like the heavy drama stuff in big chill and then also being the, the comedic relief here he is yeah there you go i i also thought of 10 speed and brown shoe also uh, not just because of the comedy thing but because he's paired up with harry Shearer, uh and so it's kind of like the same buddy energy that he has uh with ben yeah. green in that show uh, so it's kind of cool to just uh, see him kind of in buddy mode again. But I also I also thought because of the comedic presence of the role in a story that is meant to be relatively serious, uh, it almost feels like The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, uh, which I get that you would, for, <laughs> which I understand you would have forgotten because you forget that movie exists all the time. Um, Correct. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in that movie, he had to do like a bunch of physical comedy in a movie that was adapted from a horror story. And here he's, you know, doing almost like an Abbott and Costello routine with Harry Shearer uh, <laughs> in the, the middle of jackets. this, like, you know. Yeah, exactly. In the middle of the, like, this big space race epic. Uh, and so I uh, I think having him in a comedic role in a serious context, uh, it's kind of in the same boat there. And yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, of course, working with Philip Kaufman again uh, and his wife in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Veronica Cartwright, also in this movie, too. So it's kind of cool to see the both of them uh, popping up again in a Kaufman right. movie. But all right. So what are the moments Who or scenes also in, in Alien, the right, right? stuff? Uh, yes, yeah, she was actually she was in the original Alien. Yes, yeah. uh, I think. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. She was. Yeah. She was an alien. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, because because Lance Henriksen's in this movie. Who was in Aliens? He's also an alien. Alien. Yes. Well, Lance alien. Henriksen's in Aliens. She's an alien. Right. There's a very oh. there's a very key difference there, Mike, and it's an S. 
Uh, <laughs> it's a dollar sign. <laughs> it is a dollar sign. Uh, all right. So, what are the moments or scenes in the right stuff that stood out to you, Mike? Um, I mean, right away, just the the opening voiceover stuff, which I'm glad to now know is uh, Levon Helm, um, yep. <laughs> where he kind of sets like the the like entire philosoph- philosophy, like philosophical backbone of the entire story. That like you know, pilots believe that in somewhere out there lives a demon that will shake your plane apart and kill you, uh, kind of thing. Yeah. And, like the whole movie, they spend the entire entire movie talking about like let's find out where that demon lives uh which like i loved i don't know like i thought that was such an interesting take and and this whole you know uh seat of your pants hot shot uh i forget a hot dog pilot thing i think that's what fred ward called calls uh dennis quaid the entire movie and like that whole mentality of the test pilots uh and all that stuff so i, I thought that was a really interesting and neat neat like just this is the philosophy of the movie kind of thing or set the tone uh, right from the beginning, like opening credits voiceover is about chasing this demon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the movie opens up with, you know, that Levon Helm voiceover uh, talk, basically talking about how dangerous a test pilot's job is. Uh, and it kind of like keeps establishing it like those first few minutes of the movie are just about how difficult and how deadly it can be to be a pilot. Uh, you have that voiceover and then you see a fiery crash and a widow receiving the news at her doorstep. Right. Uh, and yeah. then you get to Pancho's bar and she tells how every pilot with this photo on the wall is dead. Uh, right. Like somebody asks her about that and like, the, like yeah. that's how you get your photo on the walls. You have to die and that kind of thing. And so that's, you know, it's a very morbid thing. And then Chuck Yeager like bursts in as if he's like a cowboy <laughs> in the old West. <laughs> yeah. Literally riding his horse into, into the right. bar. <laughs> Like kind of kicks open the saloon doors uh, and and then, uh, you know, while he's at the saloon, these like guys are there and they're talking to uh, this pilot slick, the boy meets world guy, uh, Corey's dad. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and and they're the rehearsal to him, for murder guy, the rehearsal for murder, like his best known role, of course. Uh, <laughs> and so they're they're talking to, you know, Corey's dad and he, they're basically saying like, hey, you know, uh, we're, we're looking for somebody to break the sound barrier. I think you can do it. And he's like, I'll do it for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And then Chuck Yeager's like, I'll do it for free. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, and so he's like, I'm going to go break the sound barrier and not even get paid for it. Yeehaw. Uh, (laughs) That's basically the thing. And then, you know, he's at the bar and he starts flirting with this woman and it's later and like, you know, she leaves and he chases after her and and like a girl like is about to be like, hey, you know, what's up? And the bartender's like, that's his wife. (laughs) (laughs) Just part of their thing. So I really like that scene, too, where it's like that kind of like flirty thing he has with his wife. It's just it's nice. Nice little moment there, I think. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't even connect somehow like the Western. I mean, obviously, like I clocked the like, oh, look, he's riding a horse past a fucking jet. <laughs> like at one right. point, I think that's getting <laughs> fueled up. And I was like, yeah. oh, very nice. But like the whole like Western motif that, that that first like 20 minutes has and the guys playing in the piano, I think in that section, I don't even remember in the bar. Um, right. There's a lot of time <laughs> spent in ponchos, so I don't quite remember exactly when <laughs> things happen in what order. Yeah, I thought I thought that was all good. I liked uh, I made a note of the seasick scene when uh, <laughs> which is much later in the movie, but it's the the sheer Goldblum stuff where there's yeah. kind of a montage of them recruiting everybody. And uh, Scott Glenn is a Navy pilot, so they have to be on this aircraft carrier and they're both just like, whoa, like wobbling around and throwing up the whole time. Uh, and it's great. I love it. Yep. Gentlemen, I'd like you to meet Alan Shepard. What? I'd like you to meet Alan Shepard. That's the man we came to see. Well, it's a pleasure. I guess you've heard about our project. We're going up against the Russians all the way. It's got the highest priority. It's a hazardous 
undertaking. In fact, it's extremely hazardous if you get my meaning. It's so hazardous that if uh, you decide not to volunteer, it will not be held against you in any way. Sounds dangerous. It is. Very dangerous. Count me in. It's it's clear that Golden Mashir don't have the right stuff uh, if they're going to be astronauts. <laughs> and there's even that they're the ones that say it, I think, the first time. I think they are, yeah. They say something like, oh, we got to find somebody who has the right stuff. I'm like, what does that even mean? It's like, I don't know, heroism, <laughs> bravery, like, whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but so getting back to Chuck Yeager, he um, has this whole, like, it's this big kind of long prologue thing, and it shows him, you know, Chuck Yeager, the coolest guy in America, uh, break, <laughs> breaking the sound barrier. Uh, he's got broken ribs while he's doing it, and he has, like, a stick holding the door closed. <laughs> right. Uh, and that kind of thing, just to add to the sheer craziness of all that's going on uh so it's 1947 and he does it uh, but there's no press for it uh they like make right. they make a note to not tell the press about it uh and the reason is they don't want other countries finding out that they were able to do it and that kind of things like who, and one guy's like who are we worried about the russians they're our allies <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh how, uh, how young we were in 1947 exactly yeah. And so, and so you jump ahead a few years to 53 and uh, the perspective starts to shift. You leave, you kind of leave Chuck Yeager behind uh, and you start shifting to Dennis Quaid as Gordon Cooper. Uh, Fred Ward as Gus Grissom and uh, Deke Slayton, uh, who I think was, was that Lance Henriksen um, as uh, as Deke Slayton or was he another guy? Uh, uh, I don't remember. I think it is Lance Hendrickson. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they're, they're all at the same airbase as Chuck Yeager. Uh, and at this point he and another guy, Scott Crossfield, uh, who was a Herschel from the walking dead. Uh, they kind of just go back and forth beating each other's records. Now that's kind of their thing. Like they're, yeah. <laughs> you know, they've just been going back and forth. Like Scott Crossfield's beating the sound barrier. And so, Chuck does the same thing and kind of just go back and forth doing that. Uh, and one thing I appreciated about this movie uh, that I wanted to give it credit for is that it, it's mostly about the dudes. It's like about <laughs> about the test pilots. Yeah. But every once in a while, it like, kind of cuts away to the wives and just like kind of gets their reaction to all of this and like seeing their husbands doing these like death defying stunts for for a little a little reason other than just to do them, basically. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and like how terrifying that is for them and stuff like that. So there's a whole scene where uh, Gordo, Gus and Deke are just like hanging out at a barbecue and they're like, you know, bragging about like, you know, all these cool things they did in the air and that kind of thing. And then you cut to the wives and they're like, I'm so fucking scared all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's that really powerful moment uh, where I one of them, I don't remember. There's a lot of names and people in this movie. Uh, yeah. So it's hard to keep track. Um, but there is, you know, they're, the wives are having that discussion where, you know, one of them went back to New York or something and met with their friends and they, you know, were talking about, oh, how stressful it is being the wife of someone on Madison Avenue. Uh, and she's like, you know, when your husband goes into a board meeting, you don't have to worry about whether or not he's going to come back. Uh, when he's just closing right. an advertising deal. Uh, and then Gordo's like, oh, you want a hot dog? And it's on fire. And then bad shit happens. Uh, so it's it's not taken well, uh, to say the least. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then Goldblum shows up. Uh, that's the... Uh, that's right. <laughs> like, right around that time, that's when you see uh, the shot of Goldblum running through the hallways, which you don't see... Like, you see his leg running down... Legs running down, like, a long hallway, uh, and then opens the door and says, it's called Sputnik! We know! And all that stuff, <laughs> which we talked we, we talked about that scene before. It was very funny. Uh, and Goldblum and Shear kind of show who they're looking for and astronauts and stuff. So Goldblum and Shear, they, uh, they leave the meeting, and they arrive at Pancho's Club, and they meet with uh, Grissom, Slayton, and Cooper... Uh, and you know, they say something, they ask something like who's got the right stuff. Who's the best pilot around here. And somebody mentions Chuck Yeager and Goldblum's like, I've never even heard of Chuck Yeager. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I love uh, that moment where he's the. I think Harry Shearer is like, oh yeah, he doesn't have a college degree. Like we can't have him. And it's like, right. damn. <laughs> Uh, and that's kind of the thing. And that's like, you know, Chuck Yeager throughout the movie, like that you open with him for about the first like 20, 30 minutes. And then you only kind of see him sporadically throughout until the very end of the movie. Um, but like every time you see him, he's like a little bit haunted by like not getting the chance to be one of the Mercury seven. When that happens, they kind of just dismiss him aside. Uh, it's it's kind of a bummer. Right. And it's one of those yeah. things where you kind of like builds up over time. Uh, and so Goldblum's never heard of him. They ignore him completely, but they get Grissom, Slayton and Cooper. They see John Glenn uh, doing a game show on TV. Uh, and then while they're on a boat getting seasick, like I mentioned before, uh, they, uh, yeah. they meet they meet Alan Shepard. Uh, and that's pretty much it for the significant Goldblum stuff in the movie. Uh, he pops up a couple more times to do the recurring bit where he runs into a room and, yeah. <laughs> and shouts something. Uh, but otherwise that's it. Uh, but he, he gets to be the guy who assembled the Mercury seven astronauts, which is a, a pretty key role. Uh, I I'd say he's the Nick Fury of the group, um, <laughs> but, but Nick, but Nick Fury like sticks around to lead them. So he's more like the Phil Coulson, I think like the, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You know, he's a shield kind of like and, mid-level bureaucrat. Yeah, you're right. Uh, also wanted to highlight, uh, there's one line, one line that Shepard has like when they meet up with Shepard, which is a great like um, team member recruiting line, uh, which is Alan Shepard saying, uh, sounds dangerous. Count me in like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And they, they, they kind of before that, like, uh, you know, you'd be taking this at like, great personal risk. And there's like a bit of it, like, you know, so much personal risk that if you didn't want to do it, no one would hold it against you. It'd be the most perilous thing. And it's like this yeah. kind of escalation is just getting more and more insane. Uh, and then him saying like, oh, sounds dangerous. Count me in. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. hell yeah, it was great. Yeah. Exactly. If, 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 if the only way it could have been better if it was like the montage in uh, MacGruber where they were recruiting team members <laughs> and it's like playing the same song like you run him with the devil. It's touch and go. Uh, I'm just uh, throwing that out there. If anyone wants to recut the right stuff uh, to make it more like MacGruber. <laughs> By all means. I'm sure Philip Kaufman would appreciate it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we kind of we jump ahead a couple of years. It's now February 1959. All of the pilots are going through tests in Albuquerque to be chosen alongside hundreds of other pilots. Like there's no guarantee that these guys are going to be the Mercury seven. And so, you know, this is just like a, like a long montage of different tests that they're doing in order to possibly be chosen. Uh, I think one of the highlights for me was a uh, Gordo. Uh, Dennis Quaid's character actually impressed himself when he beats like the breathing challenge record. Um, yeah. So he's it's like this thing where they got to like breathe into a tube and keep a ball elevated. And like the record is 90 seconds. Uh, and you see like Dennis Quaid doing it. And he's like across from uh, Scott Glenn and Scott Glenn's having a real tough time. And he's like exhausted and out of breath. And he like, o- like almost collapses. And Dennis Quaid just like has his hand on his like hand on his face. And he's like, ha ha ha. And he like, he like yeah. sees the time and he sees that it was 93 seconds. And he's like, huh, anybody want to beat that? And then he looks over and Ed Harris and uh, one of the other guys are still going. I think it's Fred. Ward. They're just like, st- they're still doing thing. And they're just like, look at him. Like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, l- I love that kind of uh, like once it starts to get narrowed down and it's like becomes this kind of friendly competition between them and, and everybody. And then that whole montage is very fun. And I, and I liked this thing, this movie, the movie does in kind of from this point forward where it starts to like intercut newsreel footage and then like edited newsreel footage with them in it. Like it's doing like the 
Forrest Gump thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I like that there's that one, one moment where it's like, you know, there's, it, it looks like it's actual real newsreel footage for a big chunk of that. And then like yeah. all of a sudden there's Dennis Quaid doing it. And it's like, <laughs> and, and it just looked really fun. And it's like silly. And all those like, you know, crazy astronaut tests that they, cause they didn't know what to test for or how to do it. Yeah. So it's just like, you're in a slingshot boosh, and like, Oh, what happened to you now? Uh, you know, <laughs> there's all this really weird shit going on. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, all, all these like different kinds of insane tests. And we mentioned the flashing red room test, which was pretty wild and surreal. Uh, and we also kind of mentioned earlier the uh, the sperm test they have to take, uh, which uh, yeah. which I thought was just a really funny moment, uh, especially like, leading into it. It's like Dennis Quaid's like, oh, maybe you should come there. It, like he's talking to the nurse and it's like, maybe you should come in there with me. We'll do it together. And she's like, just put it, put it in the tube. And, like, yeah. and so he goes he goes into the stall and one of the other stalls is occupied and the guy is humming while he's masturbating. <laughs> Yeah. And you hear Dennis Quaid going like, hey, could you please stop? That's very distracting. <laughs> it's very distracting. Please cut it out. And then eventually he just joins in on the humming. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a room full of people just humming while they're jerking off. It was amazing. Pretty great. It was pretty great. And then and then that like transitions from the song that they're humming into like the actual score. Like the the, yeah. the, the song like goes like plays into the next scene. Yeah, and I like that uh like you know kind of surrounding that whole that scene is you know Dennis Quaid and figuring out that he's going to try to pick up the nurse that's like helping the, you know, that's kind of running the situation. Uh, yeah. And then he comes out to give her his uh, sample, so to speak. And she's like, you know what? I think I want to meet your wife. And he <laughs> has this whole reaction, like, uh, like, humana, humana, humana kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and it's very fun. Yes, definitely. Uh, so all, all that testing happens and then they unveil the Mercury 7 astronauts to the world uh, in April 1959. Uh, what do you think of that whole sequence, Mike, that whole kind of like big press conference they have? Um, yeah, I thought that was great. That was like one of the last gold blue moments per se because he's there at the press conference and him and she oh, yeah, are he like they're kind of like proud dads like oh look there's our air force boys like, you know, yes. and they're kind of like all like that. Um, we want a cannonball, guys, but these will do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, it's fun. I think it's really good. And, and uh, the way they kind of all try to one up each other, like, you know, John Glenn has this like little speech and then like every other one's like, oh, wait a second, I have to say something now. And they like all kind of <laughs> take try to take turns saying something slightly profound, but really empty. <laughs> um, right. Like kind of hollow sounding. Yeah. And then, and then like it's kind of that they're they're catapulted into stardom all of a sudden. Like now they're the most <laughs> famous and important people in the country from that point forward. Uh, I love that the way like I feel like this movie takes a lot of like shots at the press and like portrays them oh, as yeah. a very hollow, a very hollow thing. There's like stuff in that press conference where it's like, so do any of you boys go to church regularly or <laughs> that kind of thing, well, which is, you know, such a it's a nothing question. Like it doesn't relate to anything that they're talking about. But then, you know, Alan, uh, Scott Glenn's like, well, as far as church goes, yes, <laughs> I attend regularly. And like this big applause in the room, like, yay! Yeah. <laughs> Well, there was also it, I, I can't remember if it's that moment before I finally realized it. But there's a rattlesnake rattle every time the press is there shows up because there's this there is yes, this weird yeah. sound effect that's going <laughs> anytime they're on screen. And I was like, what is this sound? I don't understand. And then I remembered that um, earlier in the movie, I think it's Chuck Yeager gives the bartender like, oh, I got you this. And it's like a little like a rattlesnake rattle thing. Yeah, and I was like, oh, shit, it's that sound. Like, I remembered, like, I've cl it clicked for me what the sound <laughs> is. Uh, and there's just, I was like, oh, they're just these, you know, snakes. I get it. Right. <laughs> I see what yes. you did there, Kaufman. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. So there's the big like press conference thing. They all meet the president. Right. It was at uh, who, who they were meeting. At the, that's what they were doing. Right. They were meeting the president in the office or whatever. Uh, yeah. Or like maybe it was like somebody who's in charge of the space program or whatever. But like all the guys are together and then all the wives are together. Uh, some of the wives uh, think that John Glenn's wife is snobby. And then it's later revealed she has a stutter. She doesn't like really talking to people. She's very shy. And I thought that was like I really liked um, that that performance from Mary Jo Deschanel and the way they they play uh, her and John Glenn at Harris's relationship. It's actually it's very sweet uh, the way yeah. it kind of gets portrayed throughout the movie. Uh, and so. So there's after after that sequence, you're like, okay, we're getting ready to launch some rockets. Let's do this. And then it shows a great montage of unmanned rockets exploding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One after the other for months on end, which is one of those things where it's like, yeah, there was a lot of like a lot of money (laughs) spent and a lot of like resources spent on just these like gigantic rockets, like test rockets that completely blew up and exploded and like, like were completely useless. Uh, and so just seeing them all in succession, one after the other, yeah. was, it was a pretty great way to illustrate that. There's a really fun, like title card bit, like where they, like it says like, you know, what date? And then it's like many attempts and months later, or so I forget right. exactly what the title card says, but like, <laughs> you just get the fact and the guy that's like pushing the button, like just looks sadder and sadder every time he pushes the button to launch the yep. rocket. <laughs> Loved it. It's great. Uh, So, you know, as that's all going on, all the guys are still training and stuff like that. And uh, they all, um, you know, there's like they're having some differences together. One of them is like sleeping around with like groupies and things like that. It's like one sequence where like two women come out. It's like four down, three to go or something like that. Uh, And so and so Ed Harris, as John Glenn, is feeling very upset about it. And he confronts one of the other guys. I think it's Scott Glenn. uh, And they all and he's like, we're public figures. We have a you know, responsibilities to be moral and things like that. Um, but they're all able to kind of set aside their differences and band together and treat this thing as if they are military pilots, because they all know that, um, the U S actually wants to send a monkey first before any of them actually gets, yeah. <laughs> gets, gets to go. And they don't want that. They want to actually be the first people to do it. Uh, so they are able to start, you know, getting together, making demands. There's one scene where, uh, they're being shown the capsule and they're like, there's no hatch. Well, we need a hatch so we can pilot this thing. We need a window. We need all these things. And, you know, all the scientists are like, hum, 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 harumph. And <laughs> harumph in German. Yes, harumph in German, uh, which, you know, I, they never say that that scientist is like, they never say the name of the scientist, but it's based on Werner von Braun, the kind of German scientist who helped develop a lot of the other uh, rockets and stuff in the U.S. Uh, and also helped develop the atomic bomb. It's crazy to see like that whole sequence and that him being portrayed as like, just like, hmm, yeah, well, I guess I guess we could do something like that. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I like the kind of uh, like the speech the guy gives them when they're test pilots at, at like the Air Force base before all this, where he's like, you know, who, who gets to go? The guy with the funding. Like if there's no bucks, there's no Buck Rogers. And they right. use that whole speech against the scientists so that they yep. can uh, get their have their demands <laughs> met. Uh, that, that was a fun little scene. I like that one a lot. Absolutely. So uh, 1961. The U.S. launches a monkey into space at the same time, like like a month later, uh, Russia launches the first man into outer space. They beat the U.S. again in the space race in that regard. Uh, That's Yuri Gagarin. That's when Goldblum runs in again to tell the Situation Room. And they, again, already know uh, that (laughs) that's been happening. Uh, So the U.S. efforts, they redouble. And in May 1961, they launch the first of the seven Mercury astronauts. And then the rest of the movie is just basically launching astronauts like for the next like hour or so and it's still exciting like every time it happens i'm like oh man what's this gonna what's gonna happen 
and like I kind of knew, like I am familiar with these like launches from history and stuff. Like I know what happens, but it's still just one of those things where it's like, oh man, another launch, let's go. Uh, oh no, he's so, got to pee. What's gonna happen? Yeah, so Alan Shepard is the first uh, astronaut to launch into space, and this is my favorite launch in the movie too because it is very funny. Uh, so <laughs> they're waiting for hours, uh, and you know there's like delays and stuff that keep happening, and he's sitting there in the rocket just patiently waiting, and he really has to pee, and then there's a montage. <laughs> Of people using like a hose or pouring tea or flushing toilets or something like that, which seems yeah. especially cruel to audiences uh, to do this at the two hour mark of a three hour movie. Oh, my God. I did not think of that. Like, imagine if you're sitting in the theater watching the right stuff in 1983 and you're sucked in, you're super absorbed, but you've been drinking like this giant soda. Yeah. And at the two hour mark, this thing pops up and it's like showing the hose and it's showing, you know, all these different water effects like that. That would be very cruel. I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be why they did it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would imagine that was part of it. So, uh, yeah. So he's like asking permission if he's allowed to go pee, if he can leave and go to the bathroom and come back or stuff like that. And like the scientist is like, if you pee in the suit, something could go wrong. <laughs> Yeah. And then and then eventually he was like, just pee in the suit. Uh, so he peed in the suit and the launch is a success. Uh, so that was good. Good to see that happen. Uh, and so he became the first American to uh, go out in outer space. Pretty cool. And then uh, and then after that, you get Gus Grissom's flight, uh, the second flight, which uh, launches well, has some trouble. Uh, his escape hatch blows, has to use the he has to escape the pod once it lands in the water. And uh, a lot of people think he opened the hatch early and broke it and he kind of besmirches the name of the program. Uh, so he and his wife don't get to meet JFK and Jackie like uh, like like Alan Shepard did. And they don't get the big parade like he did either. He just gets like a very small ceremony in a hotel room on the beach. And that's pretty much it. Uh, so what do you think yeah. of all that, Mike? Like the, the kind of the juxtaposition between those two launches and how people reacted to Gus Grissom? It's pretty sad. I mean, he's kind of he's kind of played like as a goof before that. Like he's got all the like stuff tucked into his suit because he like inside right. his space suit because he wants to like hand it out as souvenirs after uh, and all this stuff. And then the, the helicopter comes to pick him up. And, like it's really like really scary. Like that sequence, like you can't get the helmet off. And like he's kind of like starting to have a panic attack kind of thing going on. Uh, yeah. And then he ends up out, out in the ocean and the helicopter doesn't try to save him. He's trying to save the capsule first. And then the capsule sinks. So we're like, OK, I guess we'll save the guy. Um, right. and it's like uh, it's it's a pretty harrowing moment where they're kind of like his suits like filling with water and he can't start to not be able to swim uh, and all this stuff. So uh, and then that, and then that moment at the end where everyone uh you know he's like has that tribunal scene or something like that where the guy's like you know we, we drop these things off uh, 200 you know 200 feet onto concrete and this the 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 hatch never once blew off so it's this kind of thing where like no one believes him and no one's really sure what's going on yeah it's was, it was pretty a pretty intense intense moment yeah even his wife doesn't like seem like she fully believes him uh about the whole <laughs> like hatch blowing yeah. off on its own thing uh but she's like so upset about it because even like earlier in the movie she was like well like all this service to the military is gonna pay off one day and this right. and this felt like the moment where she was gonna like gonna be able to pay off i, th- I think this is veronica cartwright as his wife uh yeah. and she's uh, this felt like the moment where it was supposed to pay off and they don't even get to meet the president like Alan Shepard did. Uh, and so it's one, and you know, they, all they get is like this kind of small ceremony and like a fridge stocked with beer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's basically it. Uh, and so she's like upset about it and he's like, there's nothing we can do. And that, that kind of thing. Like he's like internalizing the whole thing. Yeah. So it's just, it's fascinating to see that 
kind of just the way those two launches were received and how like each person was interpreted uh, in American history. And then Gus Grissom, I mean, in actual history, this movie doesn't really go into it. it, it they mention it in the ending voiceover, but Gus Grissom does die a couple years later in the in one of the Apollo missions, uh, which is why I think this would be a great double feature with uh, with First Man, because that actually goes into like. Gus Grissom, like Gus Grissom's a character in the movie. Like, I think he's friends with Neil Armstrong. Uh, and then like you see him go up in the, in the Apollo mission, and then his death and see how it impacts Neil Armstrong and like how his whole thing is going to be. Cause it is a Neil Armstrong movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> first and foremost, but it is cool just to see that kind of character and just the way it continues into that. Um, but yeah, so we see Goldblum running one more time. Uh, and then, uh, you know, he's running in to tell them about something. I forget actually what he was going to be telling them this time around, uh, like this third time. Because uh, the first time it was Sputnik. The second time it was the first Russian guy in space. Yeah. And the third time, I don't remember. <laughs> it was it was some it was something, though. Uh, and then Maybe. when he and basically, actually, I'm not even sure if it shows him. I'm not even sure if it shows him actually telling them what happened. I think it like cuts. It shows Goldblum opening up the door and then it smash cuts to John Glenn waking up. Uh, near near the launch, right? Like his, his keys in his, yes. his pod. Yeah, that they're going like now. Like it's happening now. Like right. the, the the flight got moved up, and I don't remember why. Yeah, uh, but it was something like that. And uh, of all the astronauts here, I think John Glenn is probably the most famous one um, because he's the first American to actually like orbit the Earth. So he's like you know, and he's been portrayed in other movies. He was in Hidden Figures and things like that. But yeah, so John Glenn's about to launch. There's there's a moment where his wife uh, does not want the uh, vice president LBJ to come into the house uh, because he wants to like come in and make like, a press appearance and like, you know, be like, Oh, congratulations on a job well done. And that kind of thing and stuff like that. And she doesn't want him in at all. She doesn't want any of the press. And so there's a moment where he gets out of the rocket and like, gets on the phone and talks to her. And like, you think it's going to go well, like, Oh, just let the president in, or let the vice president in. And then say, so he's like, if you don't want him there, fuck him. Like, fuck, <laughs> fuck LBJ. He's gone. Uh, or he wouldn't, John Glenn wouldn't see that because he's like the moral golden boy. But, uh, <laughs> but he says something, there's, there's one moment where he like almost says damn. And then he says darn. And it's like, Oh boy, language. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he, the, the fact that he supports her 100% in that decision. And like everybody else is like, you like, like, I think even the commanding people in the area, like next to him are like, no, let the vice president in. And he's like, Hey, my wife doesn't want her there. So it's just, it's nice. It's nice to see that support in that relationship uh throughout the movie yeah yeah i thought that uh that whole i don't want to say like thing that whole plot or whatever you want to call it uh that detail you know about her stutter and, and how uh shy she is about it and self-conscious and how he just like 100 percent has her back on that uh is is really really nice you know what a good guy i guess john glenn was yeah, at least as portrayed in The Right Stuff by Ed Harris. But yeah, he's, right. like, he's very good in the movie. Uh, and then he launches first American to orbit around the Earth. Uh, but there's a problem with his craft. Uh, his heat shield might be loose. Uh, and so he could burn up on reentry. And so there's a, this visual of these firefly like things around John Glenn's craft, uh, which is great. Uh, and I guess it's like, you know, the actual like heat's kind of like being around his uh, his spacecraft or whatever, but it, it, it adds a nice like visual touch to it that Kaufman brings over. Uh, and then the smash cut of him in like the midst of re-entry is like heating up and then just poof, he's in the parade with his wife. It's like a great way to like just <laughs> get all yeah. get all possible tension out of a moment that everyone already knows how it ends, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? a good point. I didn't think of that. We we know. We know what happened. Like you, you skip it. It's right. fine. Um, I just <laughs> thought it was an interesting directorial choice. And then now that makes a lot more sense. That all happens. And then we kind of just skip the launches for a few of the other pilots. Uh, like this is like 
This movie's about the Mercury 7, but we couldn't cover all seven of them in three hours and 15 minutes. We're really only going to cover about four of them. Uh, yeah. And so at this point, we kind of start checking back in with Chuck Yeager a little bit more often. Um, and the first time you kind of see him in a while, you see him watching a Gus Brissom on TV and like empathizing with him and being like, well, he knew Gus and like he knows like, oh, well, you know, Gus did all right, given the circumstances. And like he's the, it seems like he's the only one that seems like he believes what happened to Gus, even though he doesn't actually yeah. talk to Gus about it. Um, like when he watches it on TV, he's like understanding and be like, wow, man, that's got to be tough. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but so, yeah, so at, at this point, it's kind of towards the end of the movie. There's a big ceremony that honors all of these seven Mercury astronauts, uh, like right before Gordo Cooper, Dennis Quaid is about to launch. And the reporter asks Gordo um, who was the best pilot he ever saw. And Gordo starts talking and you can tell he's thinking about Chuck Yeager. Like he's like going off and he's like, like listing off all these things. He's like about to say Chuck Yeager's name, but he keeps getting interrupted uh, and like just distracted by other things. Then finally, he says, like, you're looking at him like. <laughs> That yeah. kind of thing. Like, I'm the best pilot in the world or whatever. But then, like, meanwhile, uh, Chuck Yeager takes a plane from a military airbase without any clearance. The two guys who are, like, looking after him is like, oh, it's Chuck Yeager. He must have clearance. Like, they must have allowed him to do this. Whatever. Right. Go, go on, Chuck. Uh, and so he basically just starts flying higher and higher. And he's basically just, like go into space in an airplane. Like he's just going as high as he yeah, possibly can. Like, Fuck you. I'll uh, do it myself. Exactly. Uh, and he's basically like right on the edge of space. Like he's, he's there. Uh, and then while he's up there, the aircraft spins out of control and the way the sound like cuts out and you just like see it like free falling. It's, it's horrifying. It's terrifying. And uh, I, I didn't know what happened to Chuck Yeager at this point. Uh, so I thought he died. Like I was like convinced yeah. he was a hundred percent dead. Uh, and it's doing this while cutting back and forth between the flight and a burlesque show at the party. The guys are at, um, just kind of showing the difference with like where he could have been basically if he wasn't, if, if he had been chosen for the Mercury seven. Uh, and so, you know, it goes into free fall, the sound cuts out and everything. Uh, and I literally wrote down in my notes, like Chuck Yeager dies. And then like <laughs> a few minutes later, you see like, you know, uh, the car coming up, like trying, like about to investigate the wreckage being like, Oh man, there's no way anyone could have survived that. And then out of the smoke <laughs> comes yeah. Chuck Yeager walking triumphantly. The Bill Condi score is soaring and he's walking out of there with burns on his face. It feels like the most triumphant thing ever put to film <laughs> in <Absolutely>. that moment. <laughs> Levon Helms laughing like hell. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's incredible. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you you also uh, really enjoyed that moment, Mike. Yeah, yeah, I, that movie that moment was in- amazing. And there's actually I've talked about it before. I can't on either on uh, Goldblum Pod or uh, I think more on Mike and Mike. Uh, this uh, you know YouTube guy Matt Colville who does you know Twitch streams and stuff like that. He's been doing uh, every now and then this Twitch stream uh, movies you might not otherwise see. Uh, where he's showing scenes that's like he likes. And that was actually one of the scenes he showed like a couple weeks ago. I just happened to like oh, cool. be the next movie that we were coming up to soon. Uh, and it's that scene in the way that it's cutting back and forth between Chuck Yeager, just trying like, try to fuck you. I'm going to space on my own. Um, while right. the, the guys are at the burlesque show and the way it's cutting back and forth between like uh, the clouds uh, of Chuck Yeager and using that, like blending straight into the uh, like fan that the dancer is using. And it's like this yeah. really ethereal weird 
uh, you know, filmmaking stuff. And apparently that, that was a real thing that happened with Chuck Yeager where he tried to do that. And then uh, the, he ejected, he, you know, eventually ejects and the fuel that the ejector seat used splashed up onto his helmet and melted onto God. his face. Just uh, fucking wild. Uh, and that's that, that moment at the end, you know, when he comes out and walks out of the smoke and his face is all bloody and, you know, burned up and stuff like that. Uh, and right. leave on helm. And the guy's like, the guy driving the like fire truck. Is that a person? And leave on helms. Like you goddamn right it is and then starts laughing and then the score kicks in and it's like yes like fist pump like amazing <laughs> he still got it the right stuff yeah, uh, <laughs> he's got that half a stick of gum i gave him Love. exactly <laughs> uh yeah and it's one of those things like it's a it's a severely dumb thing for a person to do like it's yeah like like i feel like if i saw that happen on the news in real life i'd be like man that guy's an idiot but watching it in this movie <laughs> I'm like, I'm like so swept up in the in the majesty of it all. It's it's like just the way it's shot, the way it's cut, the way the score kicks in and just the triumphant, like like you said, Levon Helm laughing and stuff. It's perfect. It's so good in the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it reminded me a lot of uh, that guy. I don't remember his name, like in 2015 or whatever that like did that Red Bull stunt where like he took the balloon up right. to like, the edge of the atmosphere and the longest free fall in like the world or some crazy shit. Uh, and I was like, Chuck Yeager would have done that. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that's all I was thinking about. That's fair. Uh, but all right. So the Chuck Yeager thing happens and then the movie ends uh, with Gordo, Dennis Quaid launching the final one of the Mercury seven to launch in 1963. Uh, and he does his big launch. The voiceover kicks in yet again. It's Levon Helm. Uh, and you know, just de- detailing some of the stuff that happened after the movie, they talk a little bit about Gus Grissom dying and things like that. And then like it ends with for a brief moment, Gordo Cooper became the greatest pilot that anyone had ever seen. And again, it's one of those like, yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did uh 22 orbits or something like had the record at the time, like when, yeah. when stayed up there the longest out of all seven of them. And it was just like, fuck yes. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, that is uh, that is the right stuff, which, uh, you know, it took us a little while to uh, to get through the whole thing. But that makes sense because it is three hours and 15 minutes. But uh, <laughs> great movie. Uh, really, really solid. So, uh, yeah. Any any final thoughts about the movie, Mike, before we start uh, moving on to letterbox reviews? Uh, no, I think we can we can start to wrap up. It's it's been a pretty long episode so far. Uh, but yeah. yeah, great stuff. Good. Uh, the right stuff is good. They had the good stuff. No, nope, I can't think of anything. I'm, out. <laughs> it, I'm so hot. It's so hot. Can we please end? Uh, the only the only drawback with this movie is that it does not play the new kids in the block with the right stuff song. Uh, <laughs> At any point, although I'm pretty sure that song came out after this movie did. So I'll let it slide for now. I mean, I'm saying like, you know, re-edits, re-releases like you could work it in there some way. Yeah. Uh, just over the end credits. Imagine if it ends with like and Gordon Cooper was the greatest pilot ever. Oh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 just saying it's a great idea. Possible. Uh, all right, let's move on into some letterboxed reviews uh, for the right stuff. Here's a four star review from uh, film critic Mike D'Angelo, which reads uh, begins and ends weekly. The Jaeger prologue strains too hard to be iconic and is rife with tin ear dialogue. Unlike the rest of the movie, uh, we did it. We finally broke the sound barrier. Someone cries as if anyone in earshot or in the audience hadn't worked that out already. <laughs> Uh, while in the epilogue uh, just feels like a cheap shot, especially given that it spoke of my Levon Helm, who also plays Jaeger's gum-loaning wingman. But the arrival of Jeff Goldblum and Henry Shearer in minor roles heralds a marvelous change of pace, and Kaufman's affectionate satire of the Mercury Program's training regimen and PR campaign enlivens docudrama conventions by focusing on the stuff that's usually elided. Semen samples, Jose Jimenez impressions, inconveniently full bladders during stalled missions... (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> superb storytelling instincts, too. The smash cut from Glenn's harrowing re-entry right into his ticker tape parade, for example, is truly inspired and also weirdly seems to anticipate that we end up watching the same basic scene anyway with Ed Harris on the ground this time a dozen years later in Apollo 13. <laughs> yeah. And important, if you give a performance as hugely charismatic as Dennis Quaid's and suddenly have a shot at major stardom, choose your vehicles wisely. They should not be dreamscape and enemy mind. <laughs> Uh, which is pretty good. Uh, here's a, a five-star review from Colin the Dude, uh, who I think we used on this uh, podcast once before for a letterbox review. Uh, says, when they get a title right, they get a title right. The right stuff has all the right ingredients to make it the pinnacle 80s American epic. Most obvious is the cast. I could go ahead and start listing name after name after name, and the sheer volume of names could leave you dumbfounded if you're familiar enough with your character actors. Right on down to David Gopilil showing up as your go-to aborigine, and they even plucked the woman who played nurse ratchet's assistant nurse for a one-line walk-on role wearing the exact same nurse outfit like she had two jobs <laughs> that's a pretty big <laughs> leap forward in the nursing world from a mental asylum to nasa <laughs> Uh, here's a, another five-star review from phoebe which reads my thoughts before watching this Really only doing it for Sam Shepard in his prime. Don't really care about space. Really don't care about watching America pat itself on the back. My thoughts about two seconds into this. Oh, perhaps I aired the opening scene. Shepard's character nonchalantly breaking the sound barrier is just about the most amazing thing. That demon in the sky speech. Wow. The right stuff handles the astronauts of the 60s the same way Mad Men handle Madison Avenue executives with humor, criticism and sympathy. The visuals are superb. And Sam Shepard plays just about the coolest character. My love for him intensifies. Overall, I'm very pleasantly surprised. And nice. Yeah. And finally, I got one more. It's a four and a half star review uh, from Tentin Quarantino, uh, who I think we also (laughs) used for another uh, letterbox review at some point in the past. That was quite the film until it just ended. (laughs) There was never any real goal to begin with other than beat Russia in the space race, which never actually happened. Russia launched the first artificial satellite, put the first animal in space, the first human in space, the first woman in space, photographed the far side of the moon before anyone, had the first ever spacewalk, first spacecraft landing on the moon, first spacecraft landing on another planet, Venus, first spacecraft landing in Mars, the first space station. Literally all the USA did first was put someone on the moon, which isn't even in the movie. Otherwise, the film is fantastic. Uh, Great writing and characterization. It feels like the kind of movie nobody makes anymore. Definitely a forgotten gem. Wow. Uh, Yeah, which I think does put it into perspective that he's kind of right. Russia kind of beat America in almost every aspect of the space race, except for putting the person on the moon, which I think a lot of people will consider the most important part of the space race, but only because we're from America, maybe. And that's just yeah. what we've always been raised to. Oh, in 1969, we put a man on the moon and nothing else happens. Like it's nothing else mattered. It's basically well, what it's how it's taught in history classes. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, in that scene, LBJ, uh, I think in one of those boardroom, you know, situation rooms kind of talks about like, oh, we got to get the high ground and we got to the moon and realized that there's no it's not worth it. And that was kind of it. And the space race ended. <laughs> Um, so it's 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 a weird it's a weird thing you know yeah pretty much but at least it resulted in the movie the right stuff from 1983 
yeah. All right. So that's going to be the end of this week's episode of the complete works. Uh, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD film blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me online at M Smith film blog on Twitter, uh, radio Mike sandwich, on Instagram and Mike Smith film on Letterboxd. Uh, thanks for listening to the complete works. I'm Mike Smith. That's my decrease show. Uh, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can hit us up at Jeff Goldblum, complete works at gmail.com. You can find the rest of our podcast on rapture press alongside a new podcast. And Mike, what is the name of that one again? That is the totally original geek news podcast. All right. That features a uh, Sam from the review zoo. And that's basically a similar thing. All kinds of geek news about comic books and movies and all that nerdy stuff. Uh, so check that out. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Goldbloom pod. Uh, our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at Kyle's podcast themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Now you can join us next week on the complete works where Goldblum took on the role of comedian Ernie Kovacs in the TV and movie biopic called Ernie Kovacs between the laughter, uh, which sounds, I don't know. Uh, it could be fun. <laughs> uh, you know, Ernie, Ernie Kovacs, interesting comedian who influenced a lot of other comedians, but his work is like mostly predates television. It's like a lot of like radio, like he worked on a little bit of TV in like the early sixties, but he died in 62. So it's a lot of like old radio stuff. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. that kind of era portrayed. Uh, and I'm excited for Goldblum to have a lead role in uh, you know, a biopic movie could be cool. Uh, yeah. so we will be talking about that. It's available for free on YouTube. If anyone wants to check it out. Uh, and thanks so much for listening guys. And remember, to go for the gold bloom. <laughs>